today, I want to share with you what's in my heart today, a message that uh, I, I told Shane I appreciated him giving me a little extra time because I may need it today. I'm going to talk about seven days. Seven days. I know some of you gasped within yourself. You thought, surely it's not going to take seven days to share this. So I want to ask you to stand up with me in John chapter number 19 is where we're going to turn. And once we turn to these passages of Scripture, our faithful men and women that serve in the sound booth on my part are going to be completed because this will be the last text that will then go on the screen with us here today. So we're going to read very intently here at John's Gospel, chapter number 19, three verses initially. Speaking of Nicodemus and those that were helping him, it says here, who was helping Joseph of Arimathea as well. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus... Therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. In the 20th chapter, it's one verse there, and then we're going to read about five additional verses, and that's going to conclude it. Let's read closely with it here, where he gives us great detail for the first day of the week. John wants us to know that something has happened. There's been a completion of, of something that for him to be able to use. If you have the first, he's, he's fulfilling something. The first day of the week. Cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Verse number 19, we'll jump down. This is going to conclude the reading of Scripture here today. And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. So let's go ahead and catch that. The same day, so he began in that first verse. He said it was the first day of the week, and now this is the latter portion of the day at evening. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Let's read these last two verses here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So today, I'm going to draw your attention to the title of the message again, Seven Days. And I've got a couple things that I'm adding to uh, addendums to that because I'm going to focus on seven days and then I'm going to look a little closer at the seventh day and then I'm going to end with a new day. Come on somebody, amen? So let's get that in our spirit, a seven days, seventh day and a new day, amen? You want to know what it is today? It's a new day, amen? And so would you join your faith with mine and let's pray and let's ask the Lord. I know, I know you have a busy afternoon. I know you've got family time gathered and there's going to be dinners and uh, if the weather's right, there'll be children out gathering Easter eggs, whatever you might have chosen your means and ways as a family to celebrate. How many of you know that this is a very special and sacred time that God gives us? And for him to allow the preaching of the word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my intent today is, is that the faith of the believer might be encouraged by looking at seven days, seventh day, and a new day, but there could be someone among us 
who possesses faith but has never used that faith to believe upon Christ. And that's certainly our hope here today. So join your faith with mine. Let us pray. Let's ask the Lord for his help because we're going to need it. Father, I love you today. I'm humbled to be in this room today, God. So grateful. Father, if ever I feel, uh, Father, incomplete or not capable or inadequate to be able to share, Father, it is in the context of what I'm going to share today. But Father God, I'm going to lean, Father, despite my inabilities, despite my limited abilities, God, I'm going to lean and move past them and lean into you, into the power of the Holy Spirit, God. I'm going to pray today, Father, in Jesus' name. As it was noted a few weeks ago that you literally clothed Gideon with yourself. I'm going to ask, God, that I could be clothed upon by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. I do remember words like this, Father, in Scripture, that the the writer said, Lord, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Father, the Scripture says that we should speak as the oracles of God. I pray today, Father, that preaching in our own language, God, it would be this, that you would let preaching come easy in this house today, that the hearts of the people would be receptive to the things that are said and done. So, Lord, we're so grateful. I feel privileged to ask you to bless this time together, God, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, come on, somebody, amen and amen. It is good to be in the Lord's house today. So if you're new to our church family, just very quickly, and everybody's trying to uh, uh, kind of adapt to preaching and preaching styles, and you try to learn and you try to just follow along, Number one, I've been known over the course of many years of preaching to make words up that you may not necessarily find in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and, but I usually try to say them confidently in such a way that you don't know that, and uh, I'll do that my best today. I don't try to tell a lot of stories about my personal experiences or other people's experiences. I simply try to narrate the scriptures. Sometimes we just simply need to let the scriptures speak for themselves, and it is the preaching of the word today. That's, the, that's what agitates me. That's what stirs in my spirit. So as I commenced this series four weeks ago, I shared with you that there were some things that I hoped would take place in your life. I, I, because it was very, it's been not necessarily doctrinal, it's been very informational. It's been, uh, it's been a, a broad application. We've looked at things not quite as deep as we could have, but we have hopefully grown in our overall knowledge of the journey of Jesus that was leading him to this fateful day that we celebrated on Friday when we looked towards Good Friday. And I hope that's taken place. I hope that by the knowledge that you gain, that, that as you study these things out more for yourself, that you get inspired that the Spirit of the living God, how many of you know the Word of God is living and active, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you could be, you know, I, I can preach, and, and you're, even in your subconsciousness, that you could be, there's something sown in you that maybe later you're driving down the road or you're walking in the park or you're just working and you're just in the zone. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the living God just begins to bubble up a word in your spirit. Come on, somebody. And when it does, it brings life to you. So that's certainly been my goal. And, and today, I want to begin to move past those three previous sevens, the completion, and begin to narrow something. I want to look for just a brief minute today, for a few moments, at seven days. And what do you mean by the seven days, Pastor Brown? Well, I'm talking about what we call the final week of Jesus' life. This climatic week that, if you've never really studied it out, and I'm going to be honest, I've studied it out only in bits and pieces. I would study a particular area when I needed it. But I'd never taken the time to actually step back and say, I'm going to start on this day 
And I'm going to end on this day, and I'm going to try to see what all did the gospel writers give us about the life of Jesus. Did you know about a third of the writings of the scriptures are contained in talking about these seven days? And so I'll pick it up. I didn't give them these texts of scriptures. I'm going to read about seven or eight verses very quickly. If you choose to follow along, you can. It's in John's gospel. I'm going to kind of bounce around just a little bit. But I want to just add just a little bit more to lead us into where we're going here. John 11, verse 55 and 56 says, And the Jews' Passover was not hand. And remember, Jesus has come to Passover many times as a child, as, an, as a young man, and certainly in the ministry and now. But this is one in particular. The Jews' Passover was not hand. And many have gone up out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves, to go through the sanctifying process of the Jews within the context of Judaism. And then, it says here, sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple because they wondered, do you think that he will come to the feast? So they were wondering, will he come to the feast? So now we're going to go to chapter 12, and we're going to read three verses. And Jesus very fast in the sound booth. And then Jesus... Six days before the Passover, again, John is very particular to choose out mentioning the days on the calendar in context of certain events. Now it is six days prior to Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany. Bethany's just about two miles or so outside of Jerusalem, up for, coming in from the Mount of Olives, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. I like that. So our brothers here that, that translated the scriptures had a little bit of southern in them, didn't they? They made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. I'm going to read the third verse here. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I'm going to read four other verses in this same passage, verses 12 through 15. For this leads us in to the first day. To the first day, because here John addresses it as the next day. Picking it up in the 12th verse, on the next day. So for us, that's the first day, the things I want to talk to you about. On the next day, much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's coat. And so leading in, again, my, my, my endeavor this is for a few moments here, is to give you just a little bit of the breath of these seven days, to look at them very, very quickly, if I can, on this very first day. We see this known as, again, the triumphal entry. Many pastors would have preached about it last Sunday. I chose not to do so. Where Jesus here is joining the throngs of people that are coming from all over Israel to hasten towards Jerusalem to be there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Firstfruits that all happen within one singular week. And we read in Scripture that as the crowd begins to gather, Jesus has very purposely sent his disciples into Jerusalem and brought back a small colt that he would thereon, ride thereon and journey into Jerusalem. And as that, the crowd began to swell, something happened. There was a movement. There was an agitation, perhaps because of especially the last miracle that he had done. Right prior to this, 
he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so that was fresh on the minds of men and women. There were a lot of miracles that he had uh, performed over the last three and a half years. But this one is reverberating. It's fresh. They had just passed Lazarus. Some of them had sat in the room at the house of Simon the leper, or Simon's house, where Lazarus was seated at the table. The last they had seen Lazarus, they had shrouded him up in linen clothes and tucked him away and put him in a tomb and rolled the stone away. And now he's sitting there eating fried chicken. Come on, somebody. And so it begins to stir the people, and they're like, man, this could be the moment that we have been waiting all our lives because this man has to be the prophesied Messiah. Jesus fulfills that prophetic word which was found recorded in an Old Testament narrative of Zechariah that thy king shall come to you meek and lowly riding upon an ass's colt. And as he journeys, they begin to sing. People are, I mean, it is a worship for a moment. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. And the religious, how many know the religious will always try to take away your praise? And so the religious begin to try to muffle them and say, no, you can't say, don't let your disciples sing about Hosanna. That's a messianic prophecy, a messianic psalm. And Jesus said, I tell you, and there's a lot of rocks in Jerusalem. But Jesus said, I'll tell you what, he said, if they were to hold their peace, if they were to refrain, if somebody that's leading this course were to stand up and say, hush, 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 he said, I want you to know that the rocks themselves would begin to sound aloud and declare that this is the day, this is the fateful day when their king is coming to them. Jesus journeyed and got along the edge. It's, 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 called, uh, it's called the descent into Jerusalem. It's from the Mount of Olives that he would have begin, commenced his descent. I preached it long years ago. It's an interesting narrative because if you read about David at a very difficult time in his life, he is weeping as he's leaving Jerusalem and he's ascending the hill. This one is reversed. The king comes to them and when he sees the city, he is moved and he begins to weep and he begins to cry out. We have stood there when we journeyed years ago to Israel. We have stood somewhere in the very vicinity where Jesus would have stood when he saw the entire city before his eyes and he wept and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you had known, if only you had known the day of your visitation. He said, But now these things are hidden from you. And he said, You won't rejoice until there's something changes within you and then you welcome me. I'm paraphrasing that context. And now there's a little bit of a difference of the gospel writers telling us what takes place here towards the end of this first day. He definitely goes to the temple. One gospel writer says he looks over and then he returns to Bethany. Others say it's at this time that he cleanses the temple, but we're going to save that for the morrow. So we're going to take him back from the temple and we're going to return him to Bethany where then the second day would commence. On the second day, we find Jesus here. This is a very powerful moment because it does tell us that he in route, curses the fig tree. And it's a prophetic revelation of the end of the structure of Judaism. Not necessarily the people, the Jewish people, but this structure, this means, this way, this, this access to God through the structure of, 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 the, of the temple. He's cursing it to the degree that it's not going to be fruitful any longer. And Jesus then goes into the temple and with a zeal and a passion for his father's house, you know the story, he takes a small whip of cords and he there begins to overturn the money changers table. He begins to loose the doves and he says to the people, he said, do not make my house a house of merchandise. It is a house of prayer for all people. 
And then the scripture says, in the temple, the lame and the blind begin to come to him, and he heals them. And the narrative kind of closes, doesn't take us into much detail as that day, second day comes to a close. The third day commences. The third day is perhaps one of his most fullest days that we read about in scripture. It's a day of dialogue. It's a day of instruction. It's a day when his words are being contested and contended uh, contended with by the authorities there, the Roman, or not the Roman authorities, but the Jewish authorities of the Sanhedrin. They're challenging him. Where did you get your authority? I told you before, I, my mom used to say that to me as a little boy. Who died and left you, boss? And that's where people were asking Jesus, who, who gave you the authority to do what you did in the temple? What get, who gives you the authority to say? They're wanting to know. They're trying to catch him in his words. On this day, we call it Tuesday, that these are some of the parables, a number of parables. It was one of the busiest days of all of Jesus' ministry as he is speaking the truth of the Word of God. He teaches a parable about two sons. He teaches a parable about the marriage feast. He gives us the parable of the ten virgins or the ten talents. But he gives one particular parable that I won't preach about, but it's perhaps the, the parable that incited anger in the Jewish leaders unlike any other parable. It was a parable of the vineyard. For in the vineyard, he describes the vineyard that the hearer knows that he's talking about Jerusalem. He said there was a householder that owned and possessed a vineyard, and he gave it out to his servants. And, he, and then after a period of time, he said he came back to the vineyard looking for fruit. And, and then he said the people rose up, and they began to beat his servants and another servant. And he sent another servant. And he said, finally, I'm going to send my son to him. And then he said, you know what they said? They said, well, this is the son. This is the heir. Let's take him and kill him, and then we'll have the vineyard for ourselves. And he ended the parable with a question. He said, what do you think is going to happen? And the men that heard the parable themselves answered it for themselves and said, he's going to come. The household, the owner of the vineyard is going to come. He's going to destroy the vineyard, and he's going to give it out to others. And Jesus said, you have fulfilled that in your own ears. It's powerful. It agitated the people in, in, in challenging them. And then they began to question him. They said, hey, is it right to give uh, tribute to Caesar? They were going to try to catch him so that they might could accuse him before the Romans. Remember, that's where he took a coin. I love that, don't you? I love that because he said, whose inscription is this? Right? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. He said, give unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. But how about what's inside of you? How about your soul? How about your spirit? How about you give that to God? Right? And then from there, he was questioned about the resurrection. Because, you know, under Jewish law, it said if a brother, you know, is married and he doesn't have any seed and then he dies, his younger brother is to marry uh, his uh, sister and, or his uh, sister-in-law and then try to raise up seed. So they're trying to catch him because did y'all know that the Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe in a resurrection? And so because of that, they're trying to catch Jesus in his words, and they're saying, all right, this happened seven times over. And they said, so wait, hey, hypothetically in the resurrection, you believe in the resurrection? They said, well, then who's the, how's this, who's the husband of this woman? Because she's had seven husbands during the time of her life. And Jesus, I loved his rebuttal to them. He said, you don't know two things. Number one, you don't know the scriptures, the same mistake that many of us have, right? You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Because he said, don't you remember what is written in the scriptures? He said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. He said, I am not the God of the dead. I am the God of the living glory to God. 
And I'm telling you, his answers are confounding. They're trying, they are grasping for straws to try to catch him in his words. They want to know who's the, what's the greatest commandment. He said, well, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gives a strong, fervent rebuke of the Pharisees. It's strong. He uses strong language. Read it on your own. Matthew 23, woe unto you, Pharisees. He said, you, woe unto you. You will go all over to make one proselyte to your religion. And when you do, you make him twice the fold, the, the son of hell, as you are yourself. He said, you're nothing more than a, no wonder they didn't applaud him. He said, you are, not, you know, I know we think about Jesus. He's meek and quiet and lowly, and he doesn't hurt, say anything offensive or hurtful or anything like that. No, he said, I'll tell you what, this is what you are. You're a whited sepulcher. On the outside, you got everything all right, but on the inside, you are dead, full of dead men's bones. It's a strong word. Read it on your own. He also observed a widow at the day of offering, the time of offering. He saw everybody given, and he saw one woman who took in two little mites a day's wage and dropped it in. And Jesus said, she's given in more than they all. All of this in the final week of his life. And then Jesus does something. Day three is coming to a close. I certainly won't preach about this today, but I want you to know when it was shared. As he's leaving the temple, day three is coming to a close. His disciples look at the temple and go, oh my God. They're just standing there, just awesome. The stones, the beauty, the glory. Jesus just kind of passing. There'll come a day when there won't be one stone left unturned. And that startles them. Again, I've told you this before. It'd be like me standing here and saying, you know what? In a few short years, there won't be a capital in Washington, D.C. There won't be a Senate or there won't be a, a, a house. Everything's going to be turned over and the 50 states are going to be scattered. That's the magnitude of the statement that he made. And he goes to the Mount of Olives and he gives us what's known as the Olivet Discourse and day three comes to a close. Wednesday seems to be quiet, like you. <laughs> Some say he remained in the temple and taught. Others say he remained at Bethany. One thing that we know is on Wednesday that Judas of Iscariot. Hmm. Judas of Iscariot. His motive of which we won't even hope to dialogue here today. Maybe we'll save that for another day. Goes to the chief priest and for 30 pieces of silver. He promises to turn Jesus over to them. Thursday. Thursday a lot begins to happen. It's the preparation for the Passover. And Jesus' disciples would have themselves stood in line to wait for their Passover lamb to be slain. In remembrance of the covenant that God had made with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. And it's here that we have perhaps the most familiar of all. One of the... The most impacting nights, if ever there was a night of impact anywhere around the world, this is the commencing of that evening, commencing of that night. The Jewish calendar, again, commences at evening time, from evening to evening, typically. And so we know that it's in this, in this Thursday evening that he eats the supper, the supper that he had longed to have with his disciples. And there in this room that had been prepared by his disciples so much happens on the fifth day let me just just again i'm just skimming the top and just to go over i'm broadening your understanding i don't know that all of us understood really that so much of jesus's life is narrowed down to these seven days 
Did you know during the time after they've concluded the supper or while they're eating, Jesus has dialogue that only John, once again, only John gives us. Did you know that theologians call this the upper room discourse? John dedicates four chapters. I know chapters and verses were added later, but for you and I from a book that has 21 chapters in it, John gives us four of his chapters to the dialogue that Jesus shared with his disciples in the upper room. During that time period, he talked about a master and a servant. He gave them a new commandment. Love one another. Man, I feel like I need to say that again today. Love one another. Not like you want to love each other, as I have loved you. A new commandment. He also told them that the spirit of the truth would come. He promised them a comforter. They didn't understand that he was going to be taken from them. He spoke about a vine. You have to abide in the vine. He said, you have not chosen me. He said, but I have chosen you. Then he said this. We need to hear this today. This is all from this dialogue on the, the, the fifth day. When a lot is happening, remember Jesus is in one small locality, but there's a lot of movement around. In the darkness, there's a lot of things that are taking place. And Jesus said this, ask that your joy might be full. Right? That's something for us to hear today. And Jesus prayed for them in the 17th chapter. And he prayed, God, sanctify them. That, 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 that don't take them out of the world, but, to, but keep them. Keep them from the evil of the world. And he said, I pray that the world may know that you have sent me. And in that upper room, Jesus does something. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. He hands a sop. To Judas of Iscariot. The Bible says that Satan enters into him. And later that night, Jesus leaves after singing a hymn. He goes and crosses the Kidron Valley. And he goes to a place that he's familiar with. It's called Gethsemane. And there in Gethsemane, he leaves eight of his disciples out in front of the gate. And he takes three of his innermost with him. And there he reveals a side of himself that perhaps no others have seen in the 33 years of human history of his human history and he begins to say things like this he said my soul is so troubled even to the point of death some of you have had a panic attack if we will say it let's be honest it's to a degree a panic attack it was coming the weight of what was going to transpire in the few short hours from there begins to really settle upon him and he gets to a place that me and you need to go to more often than we do he goes to a place of prayer And there he prays, and under the full light of the Passover moon, Jesus prays and travails in such strength and in such agony that the capillaries around his, uh, on his his forehead begin to burst and blood begins to flow. He's uh, sweating great drops of blood. And then the scripture says that the angel of the Lord comes to him and strengthens him, and he returns to his disciples, and he finds them asleep, and he says, sleep on now for the time is at hand. And if you could have just been there, you would have seen that about that time, out of the darkness, the, the, the lanterns are exposed, and suddenly there's a group of men that are following Judas of Iscariot who betrays the Son of God with a kid and they take him and apprehend him and they put him into prison all this on the fifth day there's a little bit for us to talk about here leading into the sixth day if you will because the scriptures again are mostly dealing with things that are taking place in the night and leading into the the daytime and did you know they first took Jesus to Annas and first to Caiaphas and then to Annas and then back to Caiaphas's house 
And they can't pronounce sentence until it's daytime till the rest of the Sanhedrin are gathered there. But again, they begin to accuse him of blasphemy against the living God. And did you know that they tell us that they have discovered in what is presumed to be the house of Caiaphas in Jerusalem that there was a pit there. You can go and Google search it. It's called the sacred pit. It's about 20 feet below surface, and it's a dark place. And we stood there many years ago on our trip, and our own Jojo Riggs read from Psalm 88, for the psalmist David prophetically began to to declare to us that there would come a time when the Messiah would say, God, you have brought me to the lowest of places, that my soul is in a pit. And he would have waited there for several hours until the morning, would have began to dawn. They would have drawn him up out of the pit and then they would have commenced their accusations against him. They would have brought him to Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate would have found that he was a Galilean. So they also knew that Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, was in Jerusalem because of the feast. And so they would hurriedly take him over to Herod. But when he stood before Herod, he dialogued with Pilate. But when he stood before Herod, he would not say a word. He was as a lamb led to slaughter, wouldn't say a word. So they bring him back to Pilate and Pilate does everything that he can to try to release him uh, from a potential sentence. But the Jews begin to be agitated and stirred, and they begin to accuse Pontius Pilate and say, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar's because he has made himself a king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And this is happening somewhere in the early morning hours, mid to early morning hours on the now the sixth day. What we celebrated this past week, and we call it Friday. And so then when Pontius Pilate knew that the sentence would be set, he washes his hands in front of the people as if to release himself from blood guiltiness. And he hands them over to the Roman soldiers. We're there on the sixth day. He is beaten and marred until, as Dr. Brassfield told us the other night, his visage was marred above any man. He was beaten so brutally that he would have been almost unrecognizable. They stripped his clothes from him and put on him a a, a purple robe and they began to mock him. Roman soldiers began to fall before him and began to say hail king of the Jews and after slapping him and spitting upon him and plucking the beard uh, from his face they put his own cloak upon him and then somebody finds a large wooden beam singular and laid it across his shoulders and he begins to be led through what's known as the Via Della Rosa it's the cobblestone pass that takes you from Pilate's Hall through uh, Jerusalem up to a place outside the city gate where common criminals uh, are nailed to a tree. And Jesus, as he's journeying, is struggling under the weight of the cross, and they pull a Simon the Cyrenian out of the crowd to assist him. And Jesus' heart is aching, and women are falling and wailing, and they're trying. Those that have followed him from afar and knew the purity of his heart and the sincerity of his heart and knew him to be the Son of God. They're weeping and sobbing, and Jesus, under the weight of the cross, stops for a brief, short moment, and he looks at the women, and he says, Women, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. For if you have done this in a green tree, then what shall be done in a dry? And he continues on until he's led outside the city gates. And there between two common thieves, the Son of God is raised between heaven and earth. Seven fountains of blood would flow from him that day. Did you hear that? In a sermon series tied seven, entitled Seven, Seven Fountains of Blood would flow from him that day to wash away. Come on, somebody. To wash away. To wash away. And after many hours on the tree, Jesus Christ would give up the ghost. And with perhaps these final words, as was noted last week, Taleo, 
It is finished. The veil of the temple was written twain from top to the bottom. A centurion cried out, truly this must be the Son of God. Rocks begin to quake. The day is hastening towards the end. That was where we picked up the narrative in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John. Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, come and they engage Pontius Pilate for the right to take the broken body of Jesus off of the tree so that they might bury him before the commencement of the Sabbath. The sixth day comes to a close. The seventh. The seventh. In one sense, we could say a lot, a lot happened on the seventh day. How many know that God rested in the genesis of time from his labors on the seventh day? I wonder if God, do I have a chair up here? I don't. I wonder if God just simply said, my work is complete. I'm going to rest. I don't know. I think we could look at it that way. The women behind closed doors, they begin to make preparations to go and to anoint his body for burial further than what the men had done hastily. You know I could say things about that, but I won't. I'll move on quickly today because it's Easter. <laughs> That's funny right there. But I want to talk to you now that I've concluded the seven days. How many of those were the most impacting seven days in all of human history since the Genesis? Right, since the Genesis. But I want to talk to you just real quickly about the seventh day. The seventh day. Can I do that? And I just, I'm going to end in just a moment of time. I won't preach too much longer. If y'all help me out a little bit, I'll, I'll, get, I'll move a little faster. But I feel my spirit today. I, I can say this today. My preacher hadn't even showed up just yet. Because I'll tell you what, it's the seventh day. There were seven days, but there was a seventh day. Because, you know what, sometimes we see things on the outside, but we don't know what's happening on the inside. Sometimes we see things in the natural, but we don't know what's happening in the spirit. So let me tell you, there are two worlds that are at play, always in the life of Jesus. There's a natural, tangible world, but there's a spiritual world. A spiritual world that no microscope can see, there's no telescope that can find. But I'll tell you what, in the spirit, in a different dimension, it takes a different eye. It takes God illuminating our eyes. It's very possible that there were some things that were taking place here that just takes divine revelation. And so on the seventh day, I believe is there's the possibility of what's known as a very controversial doctrine. And that if we just think about what's taking place on the seventh day, Peter is weeping his way back to repentance before God for having denied Jesus three times. The women are waiting for their opportunity to, again, do what the men had not completed. Uh, the disciples, the other disciples, are hiding in fear. The religious leaders are breathing a sigh of relief because they have, they, in their minds, they have possibly stopped a religious insurrection from taking place. But the scripture says that what Jesus is one of his final phrases on the cross, one of the seven statements from the cross, not only did he say it is finished, but he said, Father, into thine hands... I commend my spirit. And did you know there is a doctrine within Catholicism called the harrowing of hell. And it's actually a doctrine that you can find that's about 1,700 years old at least in the Apostles' Creed. Because the Apostles' Creed says this. I believe in God the Father, mighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son and our Lord who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. And here's the controversial statement of the Apostles' Creed, and it is, He descended into hell, and He rose again from the dead on the third day, and later ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father 
amen. So just real quickly today, did you know that Peter writes and says that it's giving us a revelation, it's controversial. Not everyone believes it, especially within the Protestant movement. Some believe and some do not. But I believe that what the Scripture says is that the Apostle Peter said, writing by divine revelation, that he would go by the Spirit and preach to the spirits that were in prison. Did you know that the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that before he ascended up on high, before he was raised again in their presence, he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Well, the scripture then tells us as we're putting this together, this is the kind of Jewish belief. Some say that it is just more legend than anything, but I just have to believe in my heart of hearts that when Jesus said this in John 3, Jesus said that no man has ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven. So prior to Jesus' death, burial, on the cross, if you followed God, trusted in the Lord, what happened when you died? It's the belief of many that they were held in what's known as Abraham's bosom. But for many, many have thought Abraham's bosom to be heaven. But Jesus said, again, no man's ascended up into heaven. So it is the belief that Abraham's bosom was the upper portion of hell itself. And that when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, he did a couple of things. He would have first went to what's known as the disembodied spirits, especially the spirits of men that were held there from the deluge. And demonic spirits originate out of them, and he would have declared himself to be the living son of Almighty God. But then if he went into Abraham's bosom, can you imagine what it would have been like when the door opened? Because they were used to people coming in. They were used to the door swinging open and here comes one, here comes another, here comes a departed saint of old. But what about the day that the iron gate in hell begins to shake and it begins to creak and it begins to move back and as it swings open, as he steps in, the Son of Almighty God, the Word is incarnate the man Christ Jesus steps in Abraham's I am Abraham's ram caught in a bush by his horns or Moses said there's a prophet coming like unto me or Elijah or Elisha it doesn't they would have fallen before I'm telling you David would begin to dance Miriam would have said give me a tambourine this is the day we have long been waiting for for we are redeemed glory to God We sang it a moment ago. He went on down to hell and he took back the keys. I believe you can believe what you want to believe, but I believe there somewhere in the darkness he stripped principalities and powers. And Satan, the scripture says the serpent, the deceiver, you know him as the devil, the one that's deceived mankind, that had authority to hell, that Jesus would have taken that authority from him, that authority that Adam relinquished in the garden. Jesus would have said, give it back to me right now and he would have taken the keys to death hell and the grave and he would have led that vanquished foe he would have led those men and women out of that place in the spirit not in the natural into God's eternal glory glory to God I feel myself getting happy in here today and let me tell you now listen this is getting a little bit ahead of myself but I gotta tell you about that man Christ Jesus upon his resurrection preaching is good when you're spitting as much as I am here today I know that's why nobody sits on the front row usually. But listen, we've got a reason to have joy. We've got a reason to have something bubble up on the inside of us. The man Christ Jesus went to the lower parts of the earth and he laid, as we sang the other night, he laid death in its grave and he's triumphed over it. Glory to God. 
And when he was raised from the dead, let me tell you about this Jesus for just a moment. If you don't know him, you need to know him. Jason exhorted us a moment ago. He said, I pray that you may know him and the power of his resurrection. Glory to God. If all you know him as as a crucified Savior, then you don't know him. I want you to know he was more than just crucified for you. He died. He went to hell. He stripped the enemy. He delivered those that were in bondage. And he today has ascended to the right hand of the glory of God. And did you know the writers tell us that, you know what, we were made? We were made living souls. But he said, but this man was made a life-giving spirit. And you know what it means to be a life-giving? Let me just tell you a little bit about that. Do you remember later in that text of Scripture that we read there in John chapter number 20? you got to put all the narratives together, especially Luke's gospel, because when they first saw him, they thought him to be a spirit. And so he wasn't a spirit, but he was in the spirit. But he still had a body. And so this is a doctrine I won't go into today, but I'll probably just, just tell you. I can't help but tell you about it. But he said this. He said, handle me and see. He said, for a, a spirit does not have flesh and bone that you see that I have. And I've told you this in the past. He didn't have flesh and blood. He gave every drop of it on the tree. Every bit of it, because in this life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And he emptied himself of the blood on the tree. He would have never been able to live again except for the spirit of the living God came into him in that borrowed tomb. And he now is a life-giving spirit. And I love what he did. He breathed on them. He breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And when he did, that brings me to my last point today. Because I've talked to you about seven days. i talked to you about a seventh day. But I want to talk to you in conclusion about a new day. Because that's the culmination. That's the fulfillment. That's the hope. I want you to know that I noted in Scripture, I noted in my study, that a lot of people try to say this about, they'll tell us about the seven days. They'll end with that Sabbath when they'll say Jesus was then raised on the eighth day. And I said, wait a minute. There's not an eighth day in a week. Now, I know that I graduated from Wilburn, but I can figure that one out myself. I want you to think about it with me for just a moment of time because John is giving us a little bit of a narrative here. And John then commences this transition point from death, burial, to now he says it's the first day of the week. So it's cyclic. So he's turned past the seven and he's brought it to the first. And so it is the first day of the week. But being the first day of the week, let me tell you what it is. And this is my closing thought for you today. This is the thing I'm going to drop down in your spirit. This is the thing that when you walk out of here, it's going to be written on the tablet of your heart. I hope is that I want you to know today that it's more than the first day of the week. It's the new day. It's a brand new day. It's unlike any other. It's a whole new season. It's a whole new beginning. I'll tell you what it was. He said, Jesus himself said, I'm going to make all things new. He said the night of his betrayal, he said, I'm going to give you not an old covenant, but a new covenant. He said, I'm going to give you a structure of, of faith uh, that we're going to call it a, a new wine skin. And he said, I'm, it's going to be a new wine skin. We've got to put new wine in it. And he said, he said, new things are going to spring forth out of your belly. And then he said, I'm going to give you a new song. And he said, I'm going to take new things out of treasure. And then he said, I'm going to give you a new doctrine. And then he said, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can speak in a new tongue. And then he said, I want to go further. I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. And then he said, all of you together, you're going to be like a new lump. And then he said, he said, he said, this is called a new 
creation. A new creation, altogether different, never seen before in all of recorded human history. You're now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. My past, my shame, my sorrow, who I used to be. I was an adulterer. I was an affordicator. I was all these things. But I died with Jesus on the cross that day. I was buried. And when he came up out of the grave, I came up out of the grave, glory to God. And all things are now new. All things are now new. He said, you're a new man, there's a new and a living way. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and you got a new name. The old song says, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, and it's mine, glory to God. And one day we'll dwell with him eternally in a city called New Jerusalem. So church family today, as I conclude with the seven, it's a new day. You say, well, it's just Easter Sunday. No, it's a new day. It can be a new day for you. Daryl's joined me on the platform today. I'll close this message out. So how are things new in your life for just a moment? Let me drop these into your spirit if you have your faith in Christ Jesus. These are just a few things. Just addendums. No points on the screen. Just hope. 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 I know sometimes if you're a visitor, you come to a church like ours, you're like, man, that preacher gets loud. He jumps, he spits, he runs, he shouts. He screams, I do. I, Jesus with a loud voice said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm trying to call people from darkness today. Come on, somebody. Did you know today because of it's a new day, the fear of death has been taken from us? I didn't say, I've said it before. It's not the fear of the dying process. None of us hastens towards the dying process. But the fear of death. The fear of death is totally gone because it's a new day. Did you know it's a new day and you have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil? I love that. Over the world, over my flesh, and over the devil. I've got victory. It's a new day because I can commune with the Father not by going to a temple in Jerusalem or having a priest go before me, but because he breathed on me the Holy Spirit, I now have communion with the Father. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. He said, and if you'll just open, open, he said, my father and I will come in and we listen to this and we will sup with you. We will fellowship with you. It's a new day, church family. Because it's a new day, God can open your eyes to spiritual truths in ways. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, many prophets and priests have longed to see what you see and to hear what you hear. And now you can hear those things as well. The gift of eternal life is not something that I'm waiting for. It's something I possess now. Remember what Jesus said that day outside of Bethany's burial chambers to Martha, who he loved, when Lazarus, who he loved, was in the tomb. And she said, I know that my brother's going to rise in the resurrection on the last day. Her heart dropped. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he said, actually, he shall never die. Mm, come on, somebody. I love this one. This is just new, new. I'm closing. Did you know you can be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day? I love that you can be in the Spirit. Did you know as pastors, man, we come, this is a day, comes with weight. There's a weightiness. 
Some pastors get just so overwhelmed because it's like, man, we will hope things are right in the parking lot. We hope people get a seat. We hope that people are kind one to another. We hope that there's not a malfunction in the sound equipment. I hope there's not something that, that takes place. You know, and all of this weight can just be, you know what, but I, I just want to move all that out of the way and say I want to be in the spirit like John on the Lord's day. I just want to be, and then you know what, any day I can be in the spirit because it's a new day. Right? Jesus said this, two things, last two things I want to drop in your heart. Jesus, in that context of that final week, he had told his disciples, he said, my joy I give you. And he later said that your joy might be full. Did you know you can have the joy of Jesus? Did you know you can have his joy even when things are uncertain and unsettled and all things around you because it's a new day, you can have the joy of the Lord. And lastly, the la one of the last things that he said, he said, my peace I give you. Shalom. You can have the peace of God. Church family, that's just, just little excerpts of things. That you could search the scriptures. I wrote about, I don't know, about eight right there. I probably should have narrowed it to seven to keep with my seven uh, number that I've been working with here. But I just, I could have, the reason why I didn't is because I could just keep going and going of the divine attributes uh, that are at work in the life of a believer because it's a new day. Volumes of books will continue to be written about what God has done in Christ and the work of the Spirit and the life of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the, are you hearing me today? All these things, remember John said, if we tried to write all these things down, the earth would, would tilt on its axis because of the sovereign work of God's grace in the life of a believer. So as I conclude today, Four weeks ago, I commenced this series, seven, complete. Today, it's complete. I've commenced with seven signs, seven sayings, seven statements, and today, seven days. Seven days to complete redemption, a seventh day to finish the work, and a new day unlike any other day. I want to tag with Jesus' prayers I close today. It's a day of celebration. But he said this. He said, I hope that you know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm going to ask our heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment today. For just a moment of time, I'm going to give you an invitation. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to put your faith in Christ Jesus. To the believer... To the believer, I believe that what I've shared with you has stirred your faith today. You could have watched The Chosen. You could have watched Jesus of Nazareth. But in front of your eyes today, a preacher has done his very best to paint a portrait for you of the story of redemption. In seven days in the life of Jesus. But what would it mean for someone here today who has never truly trusted in Christ, who's never trusted fully and completely, did you know you can be brought from death to life today? I'm speaking to someone today. I'm speaking. Y'all give me just a moment of time. Most people knew this would take place at the end of the sermon. It's happening now all across the United States. 
Everybody in our time zone, the noon hour is pushing close. Preachers have musicians on the platform. They're exhorting their people. They're calling people. They're asking them. I want to ask you today, do you know him and the power of his resurrection? He can change your life. He can change you from the inside out. I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me, and I'll ask you to pray with me right where you are today. Right where you are. The only thing I want to ask you today, just very, very quickly, as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, we're not doing that for any reason. It's not trying to be secretive. That's not the goal. The goal is so that you can have a moment of personal reflection and that you know that it will be vertical. This is between you and God. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that today would say, Pastor Brown, would you pray with me? That I will know him and the power of his resurrection. If that's you today, slip your hand up today. Is there anyone under the sound of my voice, young or old alike, teenager among us, a child, anyone else today? Anyone else today? Anyone else? I'm going to ask everyone to stand up with me right now, and we're going to pray a closing prayer. Now, I'm going to repeat some words, and then we're going to pray over you the blessing of God. Aren't you thankful today for seven days? The story of redemption, the life of Jesus, the culmination of the most impactful life that the world has ever known. I want to ask you to pray with me real quickly as your heads bow and your eyes closed for just a moment of time. And I want to ask you to repeat these words because maybe somebody, just even the movement of their hand, fear and the enemy come upon them. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say if you raise your hand, you'll be saved. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So that's what I want to ask you to do with me right now. And I want to ask people to pray with me audibly out loud, if you will, and say, Father God, today I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived and he died, was buried, and is raised again. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Today, Lord, I will follow you the rest of my life. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen. Amen. Now, church, amen. Now, let me say this to you today, just very, very quickly. Before I let you out of here today, I don't, we can make that religious. We can, we can come and we can tic-tac it and we can say, no, no, you didn't make them do this. You didn't make them come to the front. You didn't make them go talk to a counselor. You know, the Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. Glory to God. And I hope and pray that someone among us has done this. So it's a new day, but I'm going to say an old thing over you to let you out of here today. Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying on this wise, Bless Hebrew Springs First Assembly of God. Now pray today these words that were recorded long ago over your life on this Easter Sunday morning. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.
Father, I bless the men and women of this assembly with all the faith that is in my heart. Thank you for their family and friends and guests and visitors and our faithful family, God, that's come out today. Today we celebrated the life of Jesus. And Father, the narrative of those seven days, I pray it's marked the people in such a way that their faith is stirred. They're going to walk out of this room today knowing that it's a new day. Glory to God. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said amen and amen.